0: me a go no go for launch
1: just when you think you're out they pull you back in i was gonna say something that was not true i i don't know why we do these let's make film history
0: we are go for launch
1: welcome back everybody to the almost sideways podcast we are so glad you're joining us this is episode 102. We are coming at you on Sunday, November 29th, 2020. It is 3 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Todd, it's been almost like a week and a half since we've had any Seahawks football. This is, uh, is kind of weird, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean... We're not right before or right after the game for two weeks in a row. It's, just, uh, it's not normal.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like a couple bye weeks in a row. Uh, Zach, have you had a chance to watch any of the uh, of the wide receiver playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos today?
2: Uh, I have not, um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure he's giving an awe-inspiring performance. I heard that they wanted to use one of their uh, coaches,
1: right? Yeah, they wanted to use their, their like, quality control coach. And uh, and the NFL said no. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, uh, make sure you're checking us out everywhere on the internet. Uh, Find us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora. You can also find uh, clips of our podcast on YouTube. Uh, Be watching for our episodes. Be watching for the Daily Notes hosted by Adam Daly to come out on the same podcast channel. Uh, you can also find us at almostsideways.com, Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. All over the place. All that. It's out of the way. It's done. It's over with. Okay, uh, Zach, what are you drinking?
2: I'm having out of Free State Brewery uh, the Copperhead Pale Ale. That has probably been here since September. I
1: was gonna say th- this is a this is a multiple uh, multiple appearance uh, beer here.
2: Yes, very much so. It's a gift. The keeps it. on giving.
1: Either you don't drink it much or uh, or you drink it a lot. That, 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 I mean, those are really the two options there.
2: I'll let the, the viewers decide.
1: <laughs> uh, Todd, what do you got?
0: Uh, so I have a mixed drink that is 99 proof uh, orange schnapps mixed with cranberry blood orange juice. So it's kind of not gangster and gangster at the same time. <laughs>
1: Well done, well done. Well, uh, I have a beer here. I got it from Ridge Walker, but it's not a Ridge Walker beer. It is uh, from uh, Ale Asylum Brewery in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, it is a special beer that I think no matter what you're, where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you think about the times that we're in, I think this is a sentiment all of us can uh, can relate to. This is their F COVID beer. Nice. Um. Yeah. Yeah.
0: With a V. For it, it's Mendes, spelled a little
1: creatively Mendes. because that's a yeah the giant V in the middle and there's an asterisk there that's and underneath it says also hoarders. So it was so, a well chosen
0: beer.
1: Mhm. All right. Well, let's get into this. We have a lot to be talking about today. We're gonna go over what we've uh, what we've been watching. We're gonna be talking about a brand new movie that is uh, a potential awards contender that came out this week on netflix and we're going to be deep diving a classic film from 30 years ago but let's uh start this off uh zach what have you been watching this week
2: all right. Well, last night I watched the pay-per-view fight between Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Does that count? Oh boy. Okay. So I need to. I need to. Yeah. Unload, no. Go for, it. go for it. Go so, for it.
1: just do it. I mean, just first of it. all,
2: it's more money than any movie I've spent uh, money on. Oh, for, for, I, I should <laughs> confess, I'm not the one who spent money buying it. Um, it, this was the result of in-laws, uh, but I do have to say it was it was more entertaining than most of the three-and-a-half-hour movies I've seen uh, in my life. Um, the event was sponsored by we- something called Weed Maps, w- which was very evident because there was this emanation of smoke perpetually coming in the background. And then midway through, there was a great, what, what I thought was going to be a cameo appearance by Snoop Dogg, but it ended up being like an extended appearance. Um, which was pretty awesome. Um, you know, I went into, I went into it kind of thinking that, um, the, the, uh, the undercard match between, uh, Nate Robinson and some YouTuber named, um, Jake Paul. Was going to be one sided because, you know, Nate Robinson is awesome. I mean, he's not quite on the Mount Rushmore of Seattle Sports figures, but uh, he's pretty amazing. And he was knocked out, I would say, like 30 seconds into round two. It was very meme worthy. It was like someone calling the ambulance because he was lying head down in the ground. But I do have to say, the, the biggest um, loser of this event was Mike Tyson because, I mean, he's got to pay the alimony checks. He's got the $10 million coming in from this event, which is great. But if you watch the fight, there is no way. That should have been a draw. It is so obvious that the that the judges really just wanted another rematch between these two fighters. Because Mike Tyson, you know what? It's like what Bradley Cooper in The Hangover said. He's still got it, man. He was like svelte on his on his feet. You know, he's, he's 100 pounds less. Um, and, and he was re- really giving given it to, to Roy Jones Jr. And um, quite honestly, I'd never heard of Roy Jones Jr. until I watched this. But apparently he was a big <laughs> fighter at some point in his career. And then there was Snoop Dogg. Don't talk like that in wine country, Zach. They'll think I'm some kind of dumb shit. Well, yeah, well yeah. <laughs> well I think I think Snoop Dogg was the highlight of the night because Snoop Dogg randomly broke into like uh, spiritual hymnal midway through the the Jake Paul fight. And then his best line of the night was when Mike Tyson and Roy Jones were fighting. He said that's like t- when two uncles are fighting at the barbecue. And um, that was like uh, just just comedy gold there, and um, you know it made it made me want to download the Weed Maps app on my phone, which I think was the whole point of the of the spectacle. So, uh, cheers to, to to Roy Jones and Mike Tyson. May the rematch come in the next eighteen months, and we can get some more money.
1: All right, uh, Todd, what what uh, what Nicholas Cage movie did you watch for uh, for this week?
0: Well, from one fight to another, I have I watched Jitsu, the twenty twenty movie by. Dimitri yes. Bogatidis, which is one of two Nicolas Cage movies that actually came out last week. The other one I'd have to pay $150 to go watch a personal watch party at the theaters for. That was The crudes too. But Jiu-Jitsu seemed like a better option. Um, it is about a martial arts master soldier named Jake Barnes, played by Elaine Mausi, who is critically injured and he can't remember anything, but he's rescued by these Jiu-Jitsu fighters who are trying to get him to regain his memory because there's this alien martial arts god that's coming down to earth that he and he does it every six years in order to fight nine humans and if any of them refuse then horrible things are going to happen so since he doesn't know who or where he is he's going to refuse and creates this life or death dilemma it's actually based on a comic book by or written by uh the director dimitri Logothetis. uh the story could be pretty legit if it wasn't For the aliens. Like, I mean, if it had just been like an an ancient order of martial arts bandits or something more traditional, it could have been something cool. Having Nicholas Cage in there makes it like entertaining lunacy. And having Frank Grillo in there lets you know that there's a serious lack of credibility for the movie. It's got like a (laughs) it's got like a three on IMDB, but having them both in there is just like borderline parody. Um it's like almost as it's like horror thriller build up before um, before it really gets into the fights, um, and before you know what the stakes are, um, both the lead and the bad guy are both not even actors; they're stuntmen. And what's interesting is that their their fights are the le- lamest thing in the movie. Like, and they don't look real at all. So I don't know. I don't know what that says about how this movie was shot. The plot is also really odd, and it's it's shot in these like video game cutscene kind of things. They're like really dreamlike, or at best they're like Mission Impossible. Uh, dialogue that that'll letting you know what's going on because you can't really figure it out through watching the movie because the movie is pretty much like a series of fights that are that are interrupted by these cutscenes. it's almost like ballistic exorcists Severin sometimes but i mean the, the movie is way cooler than that like uh the, the coolest parts of the movie are when tony ja shows up he's like the main guy in like the ongbok movie so he's really uh experiencing these action martial arts movies uh, his, his scenes are really badass and they looked like extraction kind of kind of level stuff so that was kind of cool Nicholas Cage is like really sarcastic he's pretty much Mei. he's like a he's like a jujitsu master but his quips don't really work oddly he he does look the part of being uh, a martial arts guy but uh he, he just I mean you can never really buy him as being a warrior as, as like this old warrior m- mentor figure the movie really loves its mythology and it tries to make it a franchise I'm not going to say it's not ambitious, but I'm also not going to say it's any better than, like, the 1995 Power Rangers movie. They're, they're really similar in a lot of ways. I think it has a pretty cool ending, and Kay, when Cage is done distracting everybody, it, it kind of is able to flow pretty well. I'm giving it two stars. It's really close to what I watched last week. I'm number 57 on my Cage scale between Grand Isle and uh, The Frozen Ground. Are, are either of you going to gonna look this up, This this gold...
1: Uh, I'll I'll wait till I can find it for free.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. You had well, me at Aliens. <laughs> yeah. Man, if I had a nickel for every time I heard, you know, the story would be pretty legit if it wasn't for the Aliens. And Frank Grillo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: My thoughts exactly. Uh,
1: and, and Nicolas Cage playing a jiu-jitsu version of Paime. <laughs> I mean... That, that yeah. just...
0: Ballistic X vs. Sever meets Mission Impossible meets, I don't know, <laughs> something, <laughs> Frank Grillo. Uh,
1: I, I'm, I am glad you said it, it is much cooler than Ballistic X vs. Sever because that's one of the worst movies ever
0: made, so. True.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, the, and that that's just available, I mean, it's available video on demand, you can rent that anywhere streaming pretty much, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically anywhere that allows you to rent movies, it's available.
1: Awesome. Okay. Well, let me get into uh, my anniversary watch for this week, my Oscar anniversary watch. So we're going back. You guys ready for this? We're going back 20 years to 2000. This movie was nominated for three above-the-line Oscars, but none of them were Best Picture.
0: Um, oh, Billy Billy Elliot.
1: Billy Elliot, yes. Billy Elliot, yeah. Julie Walters uh, got a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Uh, Stephen Daldry got the Best Director nomination in his directorial debut. This was his first movie. Um, And then you had a Best Original Screenplay for the screenplay by Lee Hall. For the record, Uh, I feel like this should
0: be a trivia thing in the the future, being like, this movie was nominated for these Oscars this year. And then shout
1: it out. I, I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I've kind of liked this game that I've developed with you guys. It's pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, so this is the story of Billy Elliot, uh, an 11-year-old boy played by Jamie Bell in his first movie. Um, and he he kind of has this, uh, this like, Tom Holland quality in, in how he looks when he was that young. Um, like, like, he looks like Tom Holland then, how Tom Holland does now, kind of, maybe back him up like five six years or something anyways uh it's about this boy who grows up in uh in a uh in a coal town in um how was it i i can't remember if it's ireland or or if it's just britain anyway in england somewhere in in the in the british isles um and uh and he so his, his dad is a coal miner his brother is a coal miner they're this rough tough family and he's going to uh, to boxing lessons after school every day and sharing the gym in, uh, with the boxing lessons is ballet lessons and he gets interested and just kind of falls in love with ballet and it's a story of him just wanting to dance and his, um, his dad and his brother kind of trying to deal with that his uh, drill sergeant of a ballet instructor played by Julie Walters uh, I love this movie. It was it, it's such a great watch. It's a total Terry movie, I think you could say. Um, I I was thinking about this. This is like, it it was like full Monty meets Little Miss Sunshine, but when the ending isn't played for laughs. I, that's <laughs> pretty mean, good. That, that, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was going with there. Um, Jamie Bell's awesome. I, the, he he has he he just kind of owns this part. And he is fully committed and for a child actor to be fully committed to a part like this, I mean he I hope he, he had like some consideration for, for like best actor. I'm sure he didn't because no child actor ever gets best actor consideration, but he was really, really good. Um, and then you got some, some uh, you know, underground stuff of like there was a, a worker strike going on, so his, his dad and his brother weren't actually working. And he's, you know, wasting money on, on ballet. He's wasting money on ballet. Um, but, uh, I, uh, no, I, I loved it. It was, it was a great, great watch. Three and a half stars. Uh, if you haven't seen Billy Elliot, it's definitely worth watching. And I think they've turned this into a Broadway musical now too. Um, that came out a few years ago. So, um, I haven't listened to anything from that or seen that at all. Uh, this was my first experience with the story in any way, shape or form. So, uh yeah definitely go see Billy Elliot. It's a lot of fun if you like those other two movies I mentioned, I think you'll like Billy Elliott
0: Well Jamie Bell did win best actor at the BAFTA, as I'm looking at it now so he, he oh he did he good must, He must have been pretty close to getting at least sag nomination or something so yeah he I think that's the the best work I've seen him do it, It's a good movie for sure I Stephen Doldry has had his ups and downs but uh he started out with pretty much a banger right there.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's incredible that this was his. I didn't realize until just now that this was where he started, and then I, and then he went on quite the run there because over the next what ten years, he had the hours, the reader, and extremely loud and incredibly close, three yeah, he's, best he's picture like, nominees.
0: Isn't he's, he's like the British? Uh, maybe he's actually British, I don't know. A uh, version of Bennett Miller. That's what I was gonna say, but I don't know if he's actually British.
1: <laughs> Stephen Daldry is British.
0: Okay. Well, there you go him and, ben and yeah. miller are similar with their
1: career trajectory then yeah i mean but he hasn't really done much since that since uh since extremely loud and incredibly close at least nothing really worth much he, he directed four episodes of the crown so he did have that in there but yeah anyways billy elliot totally worth it check it out uh all right and the, the final dance number is epic it's just awesome or Jamie Bell is doing his audition. It's just great. It's great stuff. Okay, that's that. Let's move on. Uh, It's time for our featured review. And uh, going into this week, um, we knew this movie was going to be a very fascinating movie to see kind of where the trajectory of this went. Uh, I know a few weeks ago, Todd and I already crapped on this movie just when the trailer was released as we were talking about Oscar contention stuff. Uh, so we are reviewing Hillbilly Elegy.
2: Do you actually want to be dead, Mom? Or are you just too lazy to try? Oh, I tried! Plenty! You've always got a reason. It's always someone else's fault. some
0: point, you're going to have to take responsibility. Or someone else is going to have to step in. Who? Ha? Who? You? Uh,
1: it is the latest film from Ron Howard. Uh, straight to netflix so you can watch this at any point at home uh let's see here uh todd i think we're going to you first on this one so tell us all about hillbilly elegy and what you thought
0: okay it is the story of jd vance played by gabriel basso in the (coughs) older version Uh, and he is a yale law student who returns to his humble beginnings in Middleton, Ohio, where he's facing issues with his relapsing mother, among other things. It's sort of a movie about Appalachian values and the societal issues in that region about, and how they shape the lives of the people who live there. It shows J.D. as both an adult and as a child when they first moved to Ohio from Kentucky, and they struggled to adapt to the new surroundings and yet become how they became a part of that community. It's based on the memoir by J.D. Vance, which was a bestseller back in 2016 it has a lot of uh i guess biography adaptation problems with a narration i I feel like a very over descriptive in that sense it combines the worst parts of ron howard with the least interesting parts of amy adams as well and it comes together in this like indie stupidity stereotype mess thing like i think amy adams is excruciating to watch she we like you get a lot of strung out drug of characters in movies and she just makes you cringe in this movie like I, I think it's just bad over-the-top acting and probably the worst performance of her career uh it feels kind of like julian schnabel's morale or steven Daldry's trash or even like a the shipping news or something uh it, it it's like begging for oscars but not nearly as important or dramatically effective as it thinks it is it it feels like it belongs like in the early 2000s or like a direct to video lossy hallstrom movie uh i think the lead uh, actor is not very interesting to watch. He sounded like he was just a disinterested version of Chris Klein, which makes it even more bad um, Glenn Close, I think is a bonafide Oscar contender however, and That's because she disappears into that role and she's unlikable and hard to watch and but she doesn't really care I think that's part of the appeal of her performance it, But I think it's gonna go down as like Robert Duvall and the judge or something if he if she gets nominated Which I think the judge is actually another good comparison to this movie that's kind of weird. Maybe maybe the better maybe the best one. Um, I almost liked wanted more Frida Pinto scenes. Uh, they didn't really belong with the rest of the movie necessarily, but she was one of the few bright spots we didn't get enough of. And in that sense, it seems like an HBO pilot. And if it had expanded, it probably would have made these stereotypical characters not as uh, not seem that way as much because they didn't have the screen time to really develop anything different. And I I think it just has the problems with a lot of first time directors, and you would have never guessed that it's one of the best directors of the last 30 years and an oscar-nominated screenwriter but it does seem very amateurish in how it was actually shot but i can see it being a really captivating book and but the parallel narratives i don't really think work in this sense like any momentum it builds up in either side it just like kills it by going back and forth in time i i think the movie has a big heart and it hits emotional beats in a way that a good like lifetime movie would, or like a random theatrical release that would end up getting nominated for best original song. That and we would totally come to the stable that shit. But that is not what this movie strives to be. I, I it's hard to take seriously, but it's not really unwatchable. And, and there were very criticisms about being really naive or being too political, and I just think that's like way off. I think it's semi-inspirational, and it has something to say that's sort of undeniable if it's not actually obvious. I'm giving it two stars. I don't really know what to think.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, Zach, I'm going to go to you next, but before I do, just to get a little bit of perspective here, um, here's some critics' reviews of this. First, let's start with Richard Roper, Chicago Sun-Times, you know, Ebert and Roper. Uh, his Metacritic score on it is 100. He says Hillbilly Elegy is a beautifully constructed, unforgiving, heart-tugging family epic. And then you go to Darren Frannick of Entertainment Weekly, who gave it a zero Metacritic score. Hillbilly Elegy is two movies, one laughably bad and one boringly bad. So, I mean, you literally have everything from best movie of the year to worst movie of the year and everything in between talking about this movie. And I went in the middle. Uh, Zach... And, and, and Todd is smack dab in the middle. So, Zach, where are you on this?
2: Yeah, I actually have the uh, Rotten Tomatoes page open, too. Um, it has a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes among critics, but the audience score is 81%, which I think says something about it, which is that it's connecting with audiences in a way that maybe mystifies or eludes critics. And that's also my reaction to it. My reaction to this movie is people are shitting on it because they saw the poster, because they know that Amy Adams and Glenn Close have not won Oscars. They're two of the you know, the, the, the highest on the totem pole of people who probably deserve Oscars and yet haven't yet won one. We know that Ron Howard has been a sellout in the past. And this movie's being released at a very strategic time to kind of market it for the Oscars. And it's also based on a book that in a lot of ways was, was very uh, uh, polarizing. That being said, against all odds, I like this movie. And I'm giving it a thumbs up. Um, I think because... The criticisms of this movie are about the marketing of the movie and about Ron Howard's career, not about the movie itself. If you you have to the movie, I don't think the movie works as some sort of. Uh, You know, anthropological viewpoint of Appalachia, because I don't think that's what the movie is either. In fact, you know, the only real scenes that take place in that kind of backwoods sort of stereotype is the first 10 minutes of the movie. The rest of the movie takes place really in this more urban area. And for me, it works not as a movie about Appalachia or or the backwoods, but a movie about drug addiction and really how the Amy Adams character gets subsumed by her drugs and the impact and toll that it has on the rest of her family, Um, especially her son. And, you know, I would agree with Todd that I think the viewpoint may be a little fractured. I I, I would also agree with Todd that it wasn't wasn't necessarily boring to watch. It did get repetitive, I would say. In the last like 45 minutes, okay, we kind of get the idea. Let's sort of move along the story a little bit. But I thought the parallel narratives kind of made it work. It kind of made things a little bit more interesting to watch. I almost wish that the movie had been told from the standpoint of the sister because i feel like her life was much more negatively impacted by the amy adams character and she was not able to escape it i think that the mistake that people that the uh, critics are reading the biggest error of this movie as being something that's you know having a message of inspiration and bucking up by your bootstraps and getting out of uh you know redneck uh uh you know um uh, hell, right? But I think that the reality is, if you if you kind of parse it back a little bit and kind of look at um, you know, this this is a movie fundamentally about drug addiction, and I, and I think that um, as uh, this kind of look at this abusive cycle that happens, I, I think it's sort of an interesting look. Yes, there could have been better directors for this project. It should have been directed by Jeff Nichols, or Deborah Granik, or David Gordon Green, or Chloe Zhao, whatever. We know that Ozark is better. We know that The writer is better. That is the problem that critics are having with this movie. They are viewing it purely as Oscar-based and not as um, the kind of more modest and simple story that I think it's trying to attain. Yes, it's, it, it, there are a lot of scenes that don't work. I think the free to pin character doesn't work at all. I think it's overlong at times. And yeah, Amy Adams and Glenn Close are certainly going for broke in some of their emotional beats, like Todd was saying a little bit. But I do think the movie works and it's affecting. And I don't think we get a, enough good looks at uh, kind of um, white poverty in uh the midwest and um you know i I thought there was just enough for this movie to 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 make it work and i really do get bothered by the sort of uh you know uh these these critics who are very highfalutin and think they know everything and just want to poke fun at it i I would imagine a lot of them didn't actually watch the screener that's all i'm gonna say i was prepared to hate this movie i thought it i thought it was just fine
1: all right uh so uh for me I thought it. I thought it was corny. I thought it was over the top at times, and I couldn't help but like it. I'm kind of in the same spot as you are, Zach. I'm giving it three stars. I. I. It had this just this likable quality to it. And if you just stop, and I'm. I was kind of in the similar spot as you were. If you just kind of stop and and tune out the noise for a little bit, and just take it for what it is. It's. It's a very entertaining. Uh, moving movie about about this about this family um like i said it is corny at times it is over the top at times i was thinking about it and amy adams in this movie i feel uh the best comp i could give to it is like renee zellweger in cold mountain right just an over the top screaming screechy performance saying give me the oscar and it worked in cold mountain Um, because that was a whole different time. (laughs) And I don't think it's going to work for Amy Adams here, but I think she has a very good shot at getting nominated. I think Glenn Close is going to get nominated. I like Todd's comparisons of it just kind of being a token nomination and not her actually competing for it, though. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see this movie up for Best Picture, because every every time over the last few years, we've had one of these movies that is just this polarizing movie that everyone tells you, no, 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 you're supposed to hate this movie. You are supposed to hate this movie. And then it ends up getting... I mean, it, it's this year's Green Book. It's this year's Joker. It's this year's polarizing movie that that there are people on, on both sides that feel very strongly about this movie. And I think if you just tune out the noise and just watch the movie, it's a very enjoyable, entertaining movie that has a, a solid story when you bring it down to to just the simple version of it and and zach i think you're right i think a lot of these people already had their their review written when they watched the trailer exactly. like todd and i did todd and i we we, we said it on this podcast when we watch a trailer we said how has, has there ever been a movie where you know exactly what the movie is going to be and you know exactly how everyone's going to react before you even by just the trailer and and it, it turned out to be something, I, once I sat down to watch it, I said, okay, I'm going to give this movie a chance. And it didn't disappoint. I, I really liked it. Um, and despite its flaws, I, it, it's kind of like the family that, that that it portrays. It's got its flaws, but when it comes down to it, you kind of have to root for it. So, uh, So, yeah, three stars for me as well.
0: So if you think the movie is about drug addiction and you think the movie is about those characters and why is the main character not the not the amy adams character well
2: yeah that was my that that was the biggest flaw i had with the movie i don't i don't know really why it's told through jd vance's perspective other than the fact that he wrote the book that it's based on but yeah
0: because i mean it's it's about that but i mean it uses that as a way to portray his journey of coming from that and knowing that that is his future and he has to do it himself because if he doesn't that his family's not going to help him he's going to live there forever that i mean that's what the movie is trying to say and i think it kind of says that but at the same time it does spend a lot of time meandering around not talking about that but he's still the main character and he's still the one you're supposed to feel for because i don't think anybody gives a shit about the amy adams character it's just she's just Another way for you to react to what the main guy is going through.
1: I think it's one of. I mean, there there have been a lot of stories like that where where you have people trying to escape their past and become something greater when they realize that that uh, their past will always kind of be a part of them and makes them who they are. Um, I think that that's kind of the story it's trying to tell, and and it has some compelling characters along the way. Uh, and I mean, right. let's face it. At this point, Ron Howard is is one of the old guard he's a classic director like he's about as classical of a director as we have left in just the way he makes movies and and there's a reason he peaked in like the mid 90s to early 2000s because that was when his style of filmmaking was at its peak and and his, i mean instead of evolving like a like a scorsese or like a like a uh like an eastwood has into into kind of what today is is all about he he's just kind of continued to make his movies and uh and i think critics just don't like the way he makes movies anymore now he would have been an interesting
0: director for this movie
1: he would have that would yeah that's true it would have been really interesting to see him do something like this
2: It seems like there was a conscious choice, though, to leave politics out of this movie, which I don't think Eastwood would have done. Like, Ron Howard, obviously, left-wing, you know, filmmaker, um, and this book comes from a right-wing author, um, or at least socially conservative author, and I kind of like that the movie sort of skirted around those issues in a way that made it more about the family and not this kind of treatise on red state America, which I think is just way too ambitious and not really what the strength of this movie
1: was. It is definitely politically neutral. When it definitely could have skewed in a lot of different ways, that way you're right.
0: That's not the I thing is... I ever thought Zach would say. Like he he always says I hate apolitical movies, and so now he's saying he hates it because it's not what he sees, or because it's neutral because it doesn't portray the way that he would think that. Again, I don't know. That's bad. No, <laughs> I I guess <laughs> I bad. guess what I'm tra- <laughs> no that
2: that's a fair point, Todd. I think what I'm trying to say is the strength of this movie would have been put would have been. Um, ignored had a different director chosen to make it a bigger movie about politics in America, and you're right. I don't. I generally don't like apolitical movies, but in this in this case, I like the intimacy of the story rather than the, the an attempt by the filmmaker to make a larger point about America.
0: Which, which I think which some. Is why, which is why I think the critics <clears throat> are way off in way, way they talk about it because they act like right. it's too political. But yeah, like you said, they probably didn't even watch it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I will say one of the most fascinating parts of it is when you get to the end and you see the side by side comparison. Oh, I hated that. Of,
2: Thank you for bringing that up, Terry. Sorry. Go, uh, oh,
1: go I ahead. actually, I actually liked it because I thought, I thought that it showed just how, how, um, oh, maybe it showed to how the casting. For going to <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's that, but, but I think I think it, it showed how how the casting was more based off of looks instead of necessarily fitting the part. Because um, I thought I thought they were all like. I mean, the only one that would have done better for, like, the Amy Adams part would have been, like, early 90s Tanya Harding. I mean, that's that's who it looked like, but yeah. um, I that, thought Amy Adams did
2: I hated it because it was just, like, the disaster artist. Like, it makes you think, you know, because the disaster artist did the exact same thing at the end of it, and it just makes you think, was the whole point of this just to appreciate how much Glenn Close like, looked like the real character, how, they, how close they were able to make her look like it? Is that the reason I spent two hours of my time watching it? I think it completely um, you know, took, took away the focus of the movie, and I, I was annoyed by that. I, I really don't like when filmmakers do that.
1: See, for me, doing something like that reminds me that it is based off of a true story. When, when you're in the, in the heat of a movie, it, it's easy to forget something like that, and then doing that of showing the side-by-sides or something like that, it reminds you that, this, that you're watching something that actually happened.
2: Yeah, it also probably should have been a miniseries, like we've said about every movie that's come out, because especially toward the end, it felt like they were just kind of picking and choosing pieces from JD's life after the flashback sequences, but before the current day sequences that, you know, really felt, um, un- underdeveloped. Um, so I would have liked to see more of that, but, uh, you know, alas, pick and choose, whatever they want.
1: And how, yeah, how often do we say that now? Every movie would be better if it were long form. <laughs> well, miniseries. and that's no
0: mistake because all we're reviewing are movies that are direct to streaming so yeah. yeah
1: yeah but i mean that's because that's all there is right now
0: right and but i mean that and, but that's maybe that's what they were left with that's why all these movies get bought by the streaming companies because they're not ones that would be viable in a big theatrical release even if it was possible to have one
1: so so uh so yeah let's let's move on but uh yeah we've got Two people giving it three stars. Todd's giving it two. Uh, it's available on uh, on Netflix. And again, it is a very like we're saying right now. It's a polarizing movie, but I think I think it's worth the watch to to make that decision for yourself. Let's move on into our deep dive. And like I said, for our deep dive today, we are looking at the 30th anniversary of a classic movie it was uh nominated for six oscars in 1990 it is currently the number 17 movie on the imdb top 250 list it is goodfellas To live any other way was nuts. <laughs> and we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all, just for the asking. It's gonna be a good summer. <laughs> it was a glorious time. Uh, we had to do a we had to do a big one right after we did the sideways deep dive because you can't just come off of that to to just average deep dive stuff. So we had to go with a big one, and we've been saving this one. We did a lot of Scorsese early on in the year, and so we wanted to we one to save one for the end of the year and here we are almost december and we're finally getting around to goodfellas uh let's get into this zach you are our trivia master for today uh so take the lead all right well we're just going to do uh standard
2: trivia so uh we're going to start with terry so if todd could exit the line for a couple moments and i don't know if i can see. can i i don't know if i can see him is he off
1: uh yeah, he, okay. he's off. He's he's out.
2: Okay. So I have nine questions, Terry, and they're worth fifteen points.
1: Okay.
2: Okay. First question. What is the name of the Denver Broncos starting quarterback today? No, that wasn't a real question. I, I asked that as sort of a, a a practice question, but did Kendall Hinton. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Real real question. What what is the bet that Maury makes when Henry and Jimmy shake him down for the money?
1: Oh gosh. Yeah, I don't
2: remember. Uh, 8 to 5 on Cleveland. And if that's not reason enough to be killed, then betting on Cleveland. (laughs) Uh, What apartment does Janice live in?
1: It's like 4D.
2: Uh, No, it is. No, it is 2R. By the way, we, to our... we, we, all, we all love this movie. We could call this podcast the Almost Sideways Goodfellas podcast. So we're making... We, we, I made these questions pretty hard. Maybe I made them too hard. Okay. But uh, we, we, we all, all love play. this
1: movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Okay. This is a two-point two question. What are the names of Henry and Karen's children?
1: I don't... I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say... Gracie and Lucy.
2: No. Uh, the correct answer is Judy and Ruth. But hey, okay. at least you knew the Denver Broncos quarterback. That's yeah. We'll give you a point for that.
1: Um, so, so here, here's the thing with this movie though. It, it, this movie has so much going on throughout it that these details are hard to pick up on, no matter how many are. times you see it.
2: They are. They are. <laughs> okay. What is the name? This one you hopefully get. What is the name of the only movie Humphrey Bogart ever did where he played a
1: cowboy? Oh crud! Um, and it's not Shane. Oh. It's not, yeah, not Shane. I remember this because I thought they were gonna say Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and then they didn't. Um, oh, I don't remember the answer.
2: The answer is the Oklahoma Kid, which I think we also Ow! should deep dot, or uh, uh, come to the stable at some point.
1: Okay, Man, I knew that.
2: This is a three-part th- question worth three points. What three items does Karen sneak in the prison
1: for Henry? There was a bottle of booze. Correct. Um, a loaf of bread. Correct. And a thing of meat, I think. No, like I, a, I think... Well, okay, I'll give you a point or, for it. Or,
2: because... There's a bag of drugs that it looks like she has, but then there's also another bag that she throws on the floor. So Yeah,
1: they're, they're, well, the, the first thing she pulls out is, is it looked like the like package of prosciutto he had early on.
2: Yeah, okay. Or, you're, like, you're right. Well, let's, I'll give you a point for that. Okay, uh, what is the magazine it, known in real life as the black playboy that is on Stack's record player when he gets shot? <laughs>
1: Nope.
2: <laughs> the answer is players. How much money does uh, does Polly give Henry at the end of the movie?
1: Three thousand dollars. Say that again. Three thousand uh, dollars.
2: I'll give you a half point. 3, thirty two hundred. Thirty two hundred. Thirty two hundred,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, thirty two hundred.
2: Um, okay. Uh what is Henry's one request when talking to the lawyer about the witness protection program?
1: Uh no we're cold. Correct. And then last, he's got bronchial issues.
2: Yeah. Which is funny because he lives in New York City, so I'm not really sure how yeah, cold yeah, yeah. weather affects that. Anyway, last question. This is worth four points. Up to four points. What are the four components of the dinner that Henry makes the night that everything comes to an end?
1: Uh, well, the sauce. Does that count or no? Um, pasta. Well, pasta and sauce?
2: He's making a sauce for something.
1: Okay. Uh, well, there were there were the cutlets that were going to just be like a starter. Correct. Um. And then the sauce is for something. It was just like a pasta dish with marinara on it.
2: Yeah. Do you, do you if you can? Can you name the kind of pasta that he was making? Because he says it.
1: Oh, does he say it? Uh, rigatoni.
2: No. No it was baked ziti and then Uh, and then the other parts were roasted peppers over the flames and string beans with olive oil and garlic
1: i do know when he said once he got into witness protection he tried to order pasta with marinara sauce and got egg noodles with ketchup
2: yes that's correct okay so you got a total of five and a half points bad
1: bad total (laughs) bad
2: Five yeah, five that points. was
1: all all bad. That no, was like, I get a full point because I I corrected myself before you before you uh, before you said the answer.
2: All right, I'll give you six points. Six points. That was that was like uh, Nate Robinson fighting uh, the, the YouTube star Terry. That was that that How was How many was cool points are
1: there? Uh, fifteen. Well, well, there there are fifteen answers you could give, but possible points is a completely different category here. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, I we okay. Figured out the other day that Terry's actually seen this movie more than I have, so we'll see how this goes. Wow. Okay. But
1: what, what I what I what I mentioned though was there's so much going on in this movie that it's hard to pick up on those random little details.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. I don't know what I would have yeah. if I was hosting trip, I don't know what I would have pulled.
2: Apparently, I went I went too too far on this one. Well, we'll we'll see. Uh, the first question is: What is the name of the Denver Broncos starting quarterback today? Which is not a real question, but uh, I think I gave you a point for that, didn't I, Terry?
1: Did you? Well, yeah. actually, actually, I need to change my answer because I, I got it wrong. Because I, the first play of the game, Philip Lindsay was playing quarterback, so he oh, was the that's starter.
0: True. Yeah, you technically got the start. I don't remember. What, I mean, he was awake for his quarterback in 2014. I don't remember what his actual name is. He's on my fantasy team. I don't and it, know.
1: And has thrown a touchdown pass more recently than Taysom Hill. That was my favorite stat of the day.
0: What? Is, really? isn't it,
1: it... Yeah, because Taysom Hill hasn't thrown one as a professional and he played college and he played oh, quarterback man. in college further okay. back than Kendall Hinton. Kendall
2: Hinton. Kendall go. Hinton, yeah. Uh that wasn't a real question, but okay.
1: What
2: <laughs> what is the bet that Maury makes when Henry and Jimmy shake him down for the money?
0: Uh oh, what is the bet that he makes? I I don't know. <laughs>
2: It is 8 to 5 on Cleveland.
0: 8 to 5 on Cleveland. Yeah, that, that rings a bell.
2: Uh, what apartment does Janice live in?
0: <laughs> wow. Like, it, the it's mentioned number? in the dialogue. Yeah.
1: I'm going to tell everyone in this building <laughs> that the woman in... <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like... I don't know. 24C.
2: No, it's, I was closer. It's, yeah, Terry was closer. It's 2R.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, this is a 2.4D two-point <laughs> two question. What are the names of Henry and Karen's children?
1: <laughs> I'm oh, telling you. Man. Possible points is a relative term in this quiz. <laughs> they're impossible questions
0: uh i'm gonna say charlie and jimmy
2: oh you didn't even get the right gender um that's impressive (laughs) (laughs) uh their names are judy and ruth and they're both girls
1: Alright, I get a half point for that. Yeah, I think Todd, I at least Todd said Luz. two girl names.
2: I, I'm going to have Todd lose a half point for that. that
1: okay, that, that works. Okay, so um, Todd's at minus a half now.
2: Minus a half point. What is the name of the only movie Humphrey Bogart ever did Replayed a cowboy? And the answer is not Shane.
0: It's funny, I was going to ask a question like similar to this later, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know what it, I don't know what the
2: answer is. It's The Oklahoma Kid.
0: The Oklahoma Kid, that's it.
2: Yes, which I think we should come to the stable at some point. Um, what three items does Karen sneak in prison for Henry?
0: Uh, scotch, pills, and scoby. be, I mean, it was like bread.
2: Correct. And Terry said that there was also a cutlet of meat, which I accepted too, because there was another bag that she threw, but it wasn't really clear what was in it. But those three are correct. What was the name of the magazine, known in real life as the Black Playboy, that was on staff's record player when he gets shot?
0: I, I don't even have a guess. Uh,
2: the correct answer is Players. Um, how much wow. money does Polly give Henry at the end of the movie?
0: Uh, $3,200.
2: Correct. What is Henry's one request when talking to the lawyer about the witness protection program? I don't know,
0: like where where he would have to
2: live
1: uh can you be more specific he had a request about where he wanted to live uh
0: he didn't i don't know i'll
2: give you you a half point for that which will uh, you know negate the uh, wrong gender of his children Um, that he doesn't want to be sent anywhere where it's cold and then the last question, worth four points, um, what are the four components of the dinner that Henry makes the night that everything comes to an end? And just as a reminder, you're at four points, and Terry is at six and a half points. <laughs> so you need um, you know, three to win.
0: Well, it was Michael's favorite dinner. He wanted to make... It was like uh, he was preparing the meat and the pork butt for the sauce. Uh, I assume there was, I assume that meant there was pasta. Right,
2: right, but what kind of pasta? Is
0: that all, is that all spaghetti? Is that what you, what I'm trying to (laughs) No,
2: not spaghetti. Uh, uh,
0: there was something with, uh, with celery. Uh,
2: not, not quite. He's
0: chopping up celery uh, before he even makes the meat.
1: This is painful.
2: Yeah, I think I think we're just going to have to end it. The correct answer is baked ziti with meat gravy, roasted peppers over flames, string beans with olive oil and garlic, and fried cutlets as an appetizer.
0: Well, I mean, that's not what they actually show him do, though. They show him well, chopping yeah, That's what
1: he says. It's for the sauce, I'm assuming.
0: And I don't know, I just and he's making the his meatballs and the and he said he has to do something with the pork butt to in order to for the sauce i don't i mean i don't that's a weird question if you're going by what he's saying and not by what he's doing yeah i went by what he's so saying though. i don't know well, whatever man. terry wins i guess terry wins <laughs> by the way while
1: while uh we were witnessing that torture right there i was uh Looking up, The Oklahoma Kid is available to rent on Amazon and Voodoo and Google and all that fun stuff for like three or four bucks, so. Nice. We should totally come to the stable that. Jimmy Cagney, too. It's Jimmy Cagney and Humphrey Bogart. All right, well, Todd, <laughs> you picked Goodfellas for our for our deep dive today, so uh, so tell us a, a, about uh, your experience with this movie.
0: Uh, I don't know when the first time I actually watched it was, but I... I, I mean, I, I love mob culture, and so this is one of my favorite movies, obviously. But I mean, like I said, I haven't seen it that many times, probably. I may, This may be my fourth time seeing it all the way through. Uh, it's the story of uh, Henry Hill and how he becomes a mob m- uh, hitman, kingpin almost, and then becomes a, uh, an informant against the mob. And uh, it's based on a book called Wise Guy, which is actually my favorite book. And um, it, it's it's a really fascinating movie. It's Scorsese making a movie that he didn't necessarily know that he wanted to make until he actually came across the material. And it's it's a it's a fascinating movie. It's a really real life look at mob. It, it doesn't at the mob it doesn't like uh, over romanticize anything. Um, Ray Liotta, uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, just absolutely in their element, in their prime and um, yeah it's it, it's it's one of the best movies of the last 30 years and uh i think it's going to be an interesting movie that we talk about together
1: so i was looking something up here this is one of only three movies since 1975 that all four of us almost sideways contributors have number one of the year can you name the other two movies?
0: In the well, not Schindler's List and Fargo.
1: Not Schindler's List. Yeah, so Fargo. What did you say, Todd?
0: In the bedroom and Fargo Far- is what I said.
1: Fargo is correct. In the bedroom is not the Deer Hunter. In the bed, I have in the bedroom number two. The Deer Hunter is. is, is we all have number one. Uh, yeah. So, so Goodfellas. I, I echo a lot of what Todd todd said it is it is one of those movies that um i think has to grow on you a little bit maybe because like i've mentioned a couple times already there is so much going on in this movie and until you are familiar enough with the basic plot to just sit back and be able to relax and enjoy what you are actually seeing go on um it it, it might be a little harder to to really see how great it is um i remember it it was one um i've seen it probably four or five times now um and the first time i watched i'm like okay i can i can tell this is a movie that is supposed to be great and and there's greatness there i just don't fully get it quite yet and then every time i've watched it since i'm like okay no this this movie's great this movie it, it gets better every time because you get something new out of it every time you watch it You catch something new because this is a movie that I mean it's almost two and a half hours long it is one of the few movies that I've seen where you could say it is non-stop action like every scene has this frenetic pace to it because everything is moving forward at such lightning speed because Henry Hill's life moves at such lightning speed and there is so much story to tell that um that it just it has to just keep going and keep going and keep going and it makes it what like i said once you're able to slow it down and really enjoy it it makes it so much fun and entertaining to watch but um but it sometimes can take you a little while to get there i'll say zach how about you what do you what are, are uh, what's your experience with goodfellas
2: Oh, I disagree with you, Terry. I I think the first time I saw it, I instantly loved it, and I've loved it ever since. For me, it's a top ten movie of all time, maybe a top five movie of all time. Every time I go back to it, you know, I notice new things to it. I think both Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction are the Citizen Canes of our lifetimes. I mean, they are movies that defined maybe redefined what it is to make movies and I think have inspired countless filmmakers, not just in terms of the storytelling or its stylistic innovation, but just um, you know, it's it's characters, it's dialogue, um, how influential it is. I mean, it's the reason why The Sopranos became a show. The Sopranos is one of the one or two greatest TV shows of all time. It launched uh, you know the career of, of Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracco. Um, it's quoted endlessly, um, and yet people return to it. And it at, for, at least for me, it never grows stale. It's a part of a great eternal debate about the nineteen ninety Oscars, about Scorsese's career. I believe it's the greatest film that that Marty ever made. And, um, you know, uh, Todd's right. I mean, it's, it, he was a little reluctant to to do it because, you know, he felt like he had been, had, had done that territory before. But if you look at it, it's also the movie that he probably had the most influence over the script because he is listed as a co-writer and, um, it's just uh, one great classic scene after another. His mother is amazing in it. It maybe has the greatest soundtrack of any movie ever made. And uh, it's just spectacular in, in every way. So I, I, I can't speak uh, more highly of it. I think this is the maybe the best movie we've ever deep, deep dove with the possible exception of Sideways.
1: All right, so this movie was nominated for six Oscars I mentioned before. It won one, and that was Joe Pesci for Supporting Actor. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress for Lorraine Bracco, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Editing. Um, I, I think we could all say it deserved more. <laughs> what, what would you say is the most, uh, the most frustrating omission in uh, its Oscar nominations?
2: What's kind of interesting about the 1990 Oscars is even though I would put Guildfellas in my top 10 and I definitely would not put Dances with Wolves in my top 10, I've always sort of been on the side that Even though Goodfellas is the better movie, I don't really have a huge problem with Dances with Wolves winning Best Picture because that is also a really great movie in a completely different way. It's impossible to compare them. I think it's an uh, uh, important—Dances with Wolves is an important movie that I think holds up really well, and it's just not fair that those two movies came out in the same year because I think in any other year, Dances with Wolves would have been a much more deserving winner. But um, as a result, I mean, yeah, it's insane that this movie didn't win Best Picture, and it's insane that it didn't win more Oscars. Um, and, you know, I, I, think you could look at any number of, uh, award. I mean, you know, for example, best, best sound. I mean, the, the use of sound in this movie is, is incredibly innovative. It wasn't nominated for best art direction. Um, it, you know, uh, I any, mean, it should have been nominated for, for every single, uh, um, oh, not even cinematography. I mean, that's nuts. How was nope. this movie not nominated for cinematography? The Copacabana I, I scene is maybe know. the greatest single take, uh, shot in
1: movie history. Well, maybe the most iconic.
0: So what mm-hmm. one missed editing? Was that Dance with Wolves as well?
1: Editing was... I'm getting it here. Editing was Dances with Wolves beat Ghost, yeah. Goodfellas, The Godfather Coda, The Death of My... Oh, Oh, Godfather Part 3. I don't know why it's listed as that. That's weird. And Hunt for Red October.
0: That, yeah, that's ridiculous. I, <laughs> yeah, the, the editing of Goodfellas is absolutely insane. and like, That's one of the... I think I have it in my top five editing of all time. Yeah, I have it number five best editing of all time in my in my official rankings, but um, I I don't know I, I think the the the, uh, the dirty little secret here is that uh, the Godfather Part Three is almost, is like equally as good as Goodfellas and it's <laughs> I I mean it it arguably should have won mm. best picture as well, but I mean Goodfellas I do have ranked higher and it is a I mean and it's it's absolutely absurd that Marty didn't win best director. This is his, yeah, his, his masterpiece of directing that he ever made. And, yeah, Zach said it. Yeah, the, the other below-the-line categories that it was snubbed for are re- just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, the sound design is amazing, and the, the cinematography, especially the tracking shots, are, 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 were innovative and uh, something you'd never seen before. And, I mean, and Ray Liotta for Best Actor. I mean, I, I will never understand how he was not... Ev- like, he didn't get nominated yeah. for a damn thing. Like absolutely nothing. And he I, I mean I think he gives one of the best performances of the entire nineteen nineties.
1: That's the one I was gonna mention, Israeli Liotta for Best Actor. He deserved to be in there. I mean he he was he's the embodiment of this movie and uh, like for the last thirty years he is like the epitome of a gangster. Right? I mean just Tommy because Versetti of and this Henry movie. Hull. Like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> go Even go to Grand Theft Auto. And and Todd, I know we talked about a few weeks ago when um, my anniversary movie was Reversal of Fortune, and we talked about this was a fairly weak year when it came to Best Actor. I mean, the five were J- Jeremy Irons for Reversal of Fortune, Gerard Depardieu for Cerno de Bergerac, Kevin Costner, Dances with Wolves, Richard Harris, The Field, and Robert De Niro, Awakenings. Like, there, there are no performances in there that just make you go wow yet you have Ray Liotta who was left off the list that makes you go wow and yeah, well, and same he's with not Pacino even know
0: godfather that's one of his three best performances and I mean I, I don't know yeah it's a weird it's a weird list overall anyway and, I mean, I don't know, do you think De Niro split votes with himself, or do you think he was supporting for Goodfellas? Because, like, I saw, like, the BAFTAs nominated for Best Actor and not Best Supporting Actor. I think De Niro was absolutely good enough to get nominated as well.
1: Yeah, I find it interesting he's the first build. Um, and I think it's just because he's De Niro, but I think he's a su- I think he's supporting.
0: And, and I think he could have easily been nominated there then, too.
1: Yeah, now, I I will say, your take on Godfather Part uh, 3, I'm not, as, it is good. I I think it is unfairly bashed on because of, um, because it's not the first two. It does have problems, and Goodfellas is much better. That's what I'm going to say.
0: I've watched the Godfather series a lot, like, a lot more than I've watched Goodfellas, and I I think Godfather Part 3 is as good as Godfather Part 2. Have you guys heard about the, the,
2: the upcoming re-release of Godfather Part Three, yeah, no, with the with the revised scenes with with uh, Sophia Coppola, where apparently she doesn't ruin the movie. Although, Loki, okay, oh, really? I, I never actually thought she ruined the. I, I'm actually closer to Todd than you might think, Terry. I, I really love Godfather Part Three, and actually, it might be my favorite Godfather movie. It, it, it's certainly for me the one that's the most enjoyable to watch. Maybe though, it's also because it's kind of the most over the top and melodramatic. But it is really good. I think 1990 is is quietly a really strong year. And like I said, I, I think, I think Dances of Wolves is a, is a really good movie. It's in my top five of that year as well. But I think like Pulp Fiction, this movie just divided, you know, especially older conservative Oscar voters probably because of all the violence and profanity. And, you know, I think they wanted to, this was very much at a time when the Oscars wanted to be a family-friendly sort of entertainment event in kind of the old-fashioned sort of Jerry Lewis way. And uh, yeah, they, they weren't going to have any of the, you know, the, the profanity and violence of this movie.
1: Yeah, I I think it would have played a lot differently if if this were released today as is. We'd be talking about a very different Oscars experience for this movie, I think. Yeah. I mean, just look at The Irishman. The Irishman is like the the, you know, the AARP version of Goodfellas and it got like 11 nominations.
0: Yeah, but I mean, e- similarly Goodfellas won one oscar and the irishman won zero i mean they were treated the exact same same with godfather part three in that way too
1: that's a good point that's a good point all right well uh let's uh let's move into some of the stuff we're going to be talking about here and our first thing that we always do is we always do a recasting if this were a movie were made today what would it look like and this might have been like the heart i mean we say this every time but this one was really hard it's not not harder than sideways (laughs) it's not harder than sideways but these are like these are some iconic actors playing iconic roles i mean sideways it was it it was hard because those actors basically are those characters this was hard because you've got legends playing the parts that made them legends and in a lot of in a lot of ways and um and just iconic so uh let's see what we got here. Let's see what happens. Uh we're going with um Oh goodness gracious. We're going with uh Jimmy Conway first. Brought to us by Robert De Niro. Uh Todd, I'm going to you first. Who's your Jimmy?
0: Uh my Jimmy is Bradley Cooper. And he I mean he he's grown up idolizing De Niro and he has that aura about him. He can, especially like in movies like War Dogs or something. He shows up and he's the he's the he's the guy. Like you know he is, and that that's all really like like that that character isn't that difficult to play necessarily. But um, I think Bradley Cooper. He shows up and you know that that he's the guy who's handing out uh, you know hundred dollar bills to someone to keep the ice cold. You know.
1: Yeah, that that's I I I was thinking about Bradley Cooper too. Uh. Zach, who do you got?
2: I went with Joel Edgerton, someone who can play dark, rugged, serious, but not necessarily scene-stealing. I mean, part of what's great about De Niro in this movie is that he really, uh, um, he he doesn't indulge at all in this role. It's a very, like, low-key role. There's no over-the-top antics, and I think Joel Edgerton is also really good at that, but also someone who can be menacing, even in that sort of solitude and and quietness.
0: And definitely not so
2: no, that's true. So but
1: but neither was Jimmy Conway, so. Right. Uh Yeah, um and uh and I like something something you said. I remember the first time I watched this movie, I was like, "Ooh, De Niro's in it's De Niro in Goodfellas." And I watched him like De Niro, I mean, was was he even really there? But it was exactly for what you just said. It was because he he's not a scene stealer in this movie. He's kind he's kind of willing to to sit in the background and let everything happen around. Him. I mean, he, you could say in that way the way De Niro plays his part in Goodfellas is very similar to how he plays it in the Irishman. And how, how he's kind of the quiet kind of watching everything else happen around him. Well, similar to he's Pesci just got a little bit Irishman more of an edge too, to him.
0: In that sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um you could almost say Pesci in the Irishman is kinda like Polly. But um anyways uh alright my I I thought the low hanging fruit here was I mean De Niro was Scorsese's boy the low hanging fruit was just cast Leo DiCaprio
0: yeah
1: um but I didn't want to do that I wanted to try to do something different try to think outside the box a little bit here I don't know how, how well you guys are going to like this one but my, my Jimmy Conway is Michael C. Hall I and uh I, yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it it's 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 a like little it. out there, but uh, but I mean, it, if you want some someone to be kind of quietly menacing in solitude, I mean, how much more menacing can you get than Dexter? But um, but I think I think he could he he kind of has the look of you know he he tries to be a calming influence, but you know that there's something something in there that's gonna that that can strike at any moment. I don't know. I don't know. I it, it wasn't. It, I didn't love it, but also at the same time, I could see it really working well.
0: Well, Michael C. Hall is more like he's got those psycho eyes, and I don't think I don't think Conway is a a guy who is necessarily like a psychopath. He's a calm, cool, collected, cold-blooded killer. You know, I, I don't think he. I don't yeah. think he ever turns psycho at any point. But i I mean, I would watch it. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, let's let's move on to Henry Hill. Henry Hill brought to us by, by Ray Liotta. I mean, let's face it, Ray Liotta basically is Henry Hill now. Um, Todd, who do you got?
0: Well, so the, the hard part about this, Ray Liotta was 36 when this came out. And for the majority of the movie, like, Henry Hill is supposed to be 21. So I'm not really sure how you're supposed to really cast this. I said Michael Pitt he has a similar like crazy coked out energy that that leota has and i i could see him being a like an up-and-coming like mob kind of guy but at the same time it, i i don't know he's probably still too old but i you, you need someone with that like in like that infectious like wide-eyed energy and i mean obviously a young dicaprio would be amazing in that role but uh i say michael pitt
1: Yeah, that is a trick with this one, is it's covering about a 15-year period. So do you cast someone young and then make them look old, or do you cast someone old and make them look young? Um, Zach, who do you got?
2: Yeah, I I went with the latter. So I went with George McKay, who was one of the actors in 1917. Um... Because, you know, like Leota, not someone who's particularly a big name, but someone who could also sort of portray that naivety. I mean, Henry Hill is someone who's a, a peacekeeper, fundamentally. He's not a violent person. He's a quiet person, sort of timid in, in some ways, um, but uh, idealistic. And so, I don't know, I, uh, the, uh, George McKay is 28 years old. I feel like he, he would fit that role well. And in terms of the trajectory of his career, um, you know, I think he's, he's probably maybe where, uh, you know, Ray Leota was in nineteen ninety. Except he is British. I've, I've never heard him speak in in, in a uh, New York accent before. That could be a challenge.
1: Could be. Could be. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, th- I think I got both you guys beat. I like mine the best. I, I Definitely for Jimmy, I, I would say Bradley Cooper was my favorite of the three. Mine's my favorite for Henry Hill, and that's Sebastian Stan. Um, I could. I, I think he's got a good look. I think he's got a good vibe to him that he's could be old. very similar to Henry Hill. Uh, he, he's actually younger than Ray Liotta was. Okay. I think Sebastian stands like thirty-five. Thirty-eight. But is he thirty-eight? old the same age that Ray Liotta was. Um,
0: yeah, that's old. But
1: I, I think, I, I think he, I think he could pull it off. I think he could pull it off. At a
0: All time, right. yeah.
1: At a time, yeah. He might be, he might be too old now. But again, he's right around where Ray Liotta was. And I think that I think he could be made made to look young. We have we have de aging technology now. We saw The Irishman, <laughs> which came in the mail. My I got my Criterion this week. I'm excited. Um, okay. Now we've got Tommy uh, Tommy DeVito played by Joe Pesci in his Oscar winning role. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Um, Todd, who we got?
0: Yeah, there, I mean, there is no other Joe Pesci. I have three actors written down, and I know there's zero chance you have any. Of, you guys have any of them, so I'm just going to say all three of them. I have, on the older end of the spectrum, because, he, again, he's supposed to be, like, 21, and Joe Pesci was, you know, in his <coughs> late like 40s. Uh, I have Scott Kahn, uh, because his dad, obviously, and because Scott Kahn has... I
1: almost kid. wrote down Scott Kahn, actually.
0: Uh, and I also have Emile Hirsch, uh, who would be different and but my favorite one is kieran Culkin, because i feel like he he could absolutely nail that like motor mouth thing and you don't really know that much about tommy other than that he's basically joe pesci and i mean i think that <laughs> if you're getting a guy who who is a guy who's probably out there he's a little too high and he's a little bit of a loose cannon i, I think kieran Culkin absolutely could just crush that that role of, of just being like that guy that nobody actually knows what he's going to do next
1: i like that i like that yeah i totally almost wrote down scott con well
0: that's good and and as we know they're not it would have been
1: it would have been like it would have been like tumblr drives some drives everything with wheels and some things without (laughs) exactly um yeah (laughs) all right Zach, who do you got for Tommy?
2: Well, of course, Joe Pesci's other great performance from 1990 was in a comic role, Home Alone. I thought you had to go someone comic because there would also be sort of the shock value of it. And the actor I landed on was Jonah Hill. Um, Not just because maybe he shares some physicality, but I think I'm ready for Jonah Hill to be a menacing figure. I want to see it. I think he has the range. I think we all believe that he has the range, and this would be the perfect role for him to embrace that side.
0: Well, I think his role in Wolf of Wall Street could have evolved into that if if they had a you know yeah. another few years because <laughs> he was already like off the rails
1: well and i think i think that was that was a low hanging fruit there too as i think um i think there's a lot of parallels of i mean you you could say Wolf of Wall Street is like Scorsese's updated version of Goodfellas in a lot of ways and so the the Leo Jonah Hill dynamic you could say could be you know what the the jimmy tommy dynamic in in uh in goodfellas so i was thinking him too i went with somebody else uh, again i'm not thrilled with the pick but i think it could work i went with tom hardy um i could see I, I i he's one of the few guys that's out there right now that when you look at him like yeah i could see you as a gangster um yeah, and, but can you see him he, being a motormouth? I mean, you, it is really hard to understand him in every movie he's in, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I I could I could see it I mean if he if he had to be a motor mouth I could see him do it I he's definitely can pull off the hotheadedness, um, I don't know maybe he's maybe been... Scott Con was the better choice.
2: Yeah, Tom Hardy's more of a Jimmy, I think. I mean, Polly I mean, I mean, yeah. Tommy is a a role that's impossible to cast. I know what you mean by Jonah Hill being the low hanging fruit, but there's no one else that could really do it. I oh, mean, no. apparently Tommy in real life was was bulky and massive, so maybe that's where Tom Hardy could maybe uh, bring more authenticity to the role. But I don't know if I see it.
0: Well, so he was like, see? he was really fit, or was he was fat?
2: No, he was like, I don't know if he was fat, but he was, the, the only difference, according to trivia, the only difference between Joe Pesci, uh, the only thing Joe Pesci didn't get right is apparently Tommy was, like, huge. He was, like, over six feet tall and, and really, you know, good shape, apparently.
1: See, and I think that character plays really, really cool being diminutive, because I, then I you have the, the short complex and, and yeah. having to, to make up for something there. See, I, th- I think we just cast Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy and just relive the warrior and, sure. uh, and uh, go with that. All right. Not good. Uh, next, we have Karen. Uh, Lorraine Bracco's Oscar-nominated performance. Uh, Todd, who do you got?
0: For me, there was only one answer, especially when you're talking about Italian actresses, and that's Lady Gaga. I, I think she would. She would oh. just slide into that world, and she would live. I like got be. I think it'd be amazing.
1: <clears throat> that's that's a good call. That is a good call.
2: Yeah, I I defer to your pick, Todd. I was gonna say Jamie uh, Jamie Lynn Siegler from The Sopranos, but I I like I like that pick uh, better. Yeah,
1: that that there's not nothing topping that. I said Mary Elizabeth Winstead. That's not terrible. Um, I I could see her work. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, that fits uh,
0: Karen for sure.
1: the The other one I was thinking was if you want to go a little outside the box, I was thinking maybe Aubrey Plaza, but uh, but Lady mm. Gaga. That's that's pretty that's pretty awesome there.
2: Yeah, but Aubrey yeah. Plaza is from Delaware, not from Lawrence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it doesn't. Does anyone actually come from Delaware? Haven't we had this discussion before? Other than Joe Flacco and Joe Biden. And Aubrey Plaza apparently. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we have uh, we have Paulie, Paul Cicero, played by Paul Sorvino. I, I I have to say, what the first time I watched this, the first time I watched this, the first thing, one of the first things I noticed when he came on, it was the first time I ever, first thing I ever saw Paul Sorvino in, and the first thing I said is that has to be Mira Sorvino's dad before i knew it was played by paul sorvino because they have the same eyes i i don't know what it was but i looked at those eyes and went that that's that's yeah that's mira sorvino's dad it's still dad.
0: As weird as the first time i heard it
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know what it what it was immediate and then i was like oh yep it actually was awesome i am yeah i don't know what it was anyways todd pauly who do you got
0: uh i have two uh i'll just i'll just say I'm both uh one would be a little outside the box that's uh, vincent d'onofrio and he, i don't know he doesn't do a a lot of stuff anymore but he he's got the he's got the physicality to do it and the other one is mark ruffalo and i i feel like there, there is a version of mark ruffalo that could ev- eventually be like the, the harvey Keitel in, in like scorsese movies or something like that and he could be that like he could be that that mob boss that everyone is afraid of But doesn't really say anything To, I, I don't know I, I think I think Ruffalo would embody it But I feel like Dinofio fits it more As like a, in the uh, physical sense
1: Alright, alright I, I, I can see that, I can see that Zach, what do you got?
2: Um, I went with CGI James Gandolfini Because this should have been the role That he always played, and you could yeah. just take bits and pieces oh. Of him from The Sopranos And, you know, maybe do a little de-aging we know Marty likes that, so you can make it work.
1: Isn't isn't there a movie being made right now with James Dean as the lead? Like a World War II movie? I think a, a CGI James Dean. I think I remember hearing that. So it's possible. Um, I, I will say, one of the things that I, I was really tempted to do when recasting this is basically just shift it from New York to Boston and cast all the Boston guys, cast, cast Mark Wahlberg, cast ben affleck and matt damon and but like i was thinking yeah yeah jeremy renner just go with like the cast of the town um i was thinking ben affleck would be a really interesting jimmy or he could have even been Polly. i don't know chris evans um yeah 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 exactly um but i didn't anyways my my Polly uh that'll be little, for, that'll be for our
2: departed recasting sorry terry
1: there we go yeah yeah um my Polly, i i i could see it working but uh, we always say every movie is better if Kyle Chandler's in it. So, <laughs> Kyle Chandler is my poly.
2: That is not true, but okay.
0: That would be <laughs> a flip if he was not playing the, like, the narc or something, but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he had to play the, the, the good guy. I, I'm or, pretty or the sure bad guy, our, our thing is the every movie
0: would be better if film Seymour Hoffman or Catherine Keener are in it, not <laughs> Kyle Chandler, but... <laughs>
1: Well, no, but we always say if Kyle Chandler's in it, it's bad. It's a good movie.
0: That's true. Yeah, he's never the focus of it, which I guess is exactly what Paulie is. Exactly. He's he's the boss capo. A
1: lot a lot of a lot of people, you know, say like he's the best part of Manchester by the Sea.
0: There are people that say that. Sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't even. (laughs) But he he was in Manchester by the Sea. I don't remember. He's the brother. Oh, I didn't. I didn't remember uh,
0: that. Zach only YouTubes the. Uh, the, the yeah, characters.
2: I only. I've only watched it on, YouTube. on YouTube. The one scene on YouTube.
1: All right. Um, the the other option for Polly answers the next question. Yes. That's who Nicolas Cage would play.
0: Yeah, I had two written down. I said Polly, and I also said Maury because mainly yeah. for the commercial. <laughs> because couldn't you see him doing like some crazy thing uh, jumping into the pool because like to show how much his his toupee wouldn't move like that, that's a Nicolas cage thing all, all over the place okay but he could yes. also
2: he could also be billy bats though i mean you could see him in the bar you know smashing down it you know get out and shine box i could see he, that he would
0: have made his eventual death scene in the back of the car way more dramatic <laughs> yeah that's true yeah <laughs>
2: like when they were at Tommy's mom's house he
1: would have had his hands stick out not the knife not the knife
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good call I didn't even think about that that's even better than Maury
2: (laughs) and then like Tommy's mom could be doing a painting of one of his like DVD covers like um
1: (laughs) Matchstick (laughs) Men or the one you were talking
2: about a few weeks ago Todd that we said looked like it was photoshopped I can't remember they're all the same
1: i was gonna say all of them
2: <laughs> i could also see nicholas cage as henny youngman too i mean getting up on stage saying some one-liners that could work
1: yeah the I possibilities are endless they really are there's well they just because there's so many just over-the-top awesome characters in this in this movie that yeah by the way, I thought one of your trivia questions was going to be uh, name all the people that are introduced in the tracking scene, the first tracking scene through the bar or yeah. through the club.
0: Yeah. Because
2: be- we needed to make trivia more difficult. Yeah. I'm I don't think I, it, I don't think it was tough enough. I think
0: we needed to. I raise think I would have gotten done better at that than like what they made for dinner.
1: <laughs> well, since you didn't get any of that. I at least got the cutlets. <laughs>
0: well, I got, I got something. I just didn't get credit for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, highest war performance. Uh, we'll go to Zach first. Okay.
2: Uh, I have a sort of not-so-serious one and a serious one. My, my not-so-serious one is Joseph D'Onofrio as Young Tommy because... It's, pr- it's probably got to be really hard to cast someone as a young Joe Pesci but I think Joseph D'Onofrio I don't know if he's related to Vincent D'Onofrio, Um, actually looks and sounds a lot as close as you could possibly get to a young Joe Pesci so I, I really commend him I think that's a high war performance but obviously the highest war performance is Catherine Scorsese as Tommy DeVito's mother because she is um, you know Martin Scorsese's mother and she steals the scene in every single scene she's in one of my questions was going to be how many scenes does mama scorsese show up in this movie i believe the answer is like five but uh tell me there's another actress who could have uh, played that role uh it it doesn't really exist and you know she's one of the many um you know in 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 like um undefinable ways that this movie is just perfect is, is her presence and so highest war easily
1: yeah, uh, your your point about young Tommy, I was actually thinking of making with young Henry. Yeah, that's a good because one too. that kid's a dead ringer for, for Ray Liotta. It was kind of ridiculous. But I think it's easier um, to cast younger
2: Ray Liotta though than it would be younger Joe Pesci.
1: It's true, true. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Joe Pesci. I mean, it, it's funny to we always do this app right after the recasting because it always, it's. Uh, we always kind of give that answer in our recast. He's like, man, this one was so hard to recast and it's impossible to recast. I mean, that, that means it's, it's the war, right? It's the highest war is the, that one that's, that's the most irreplaceable, the one that's the hardest to, to find someone else to fill in for. And, um, and I mean, there were a couple that I was thinking about, but really when it came down to it, like Todd said, I mean, or one of you said, Joe Pesci is basically being Joe Pesci here. And, uh, and and he he's made that role him more than anything. So you you gotta go. I, I had to go Joe Pesci. Todd, how about you?
0: Uh, I was going to say Paul Servino, because,
1: oh. the, like,
0: it just, I, I don't know. It's, in the book and in the movie, like, there's no other way that I could picture anybody but that. I mean, like, like Zach said, like, yeah, James Gandolfini became that, but I would never have thought that back in 1990, that that G- Gandolfini doing his roles he did through the 90s would eventually become uh would eventually become Tony Soprano like Paul Sorvino is so perfect in that role he he doesn't he, he's this like big imposing presence and nobody talks to him because he doesn't have to talk to anybody you just know he's the boss and I, I feel like in every movie that he's in you, you just kind of know that he's in charge and that, that that's a hard uh that's a hard uh thing to, to accomplish just by showing up and I I think, yeah, yeah, highest war, not the best performance, but highest war.
1: Yeah, there's yeah a... I definitely had that feeling in Day of the Dolphin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Well, yeah, he was also, they were 20 years younger, and still, yeah. <laughs> probably. He looked more like a, a young mobster with crazy hair.
2: There's only one other plus-size actor in 1990 that maybe could have played that role, and it would have been terrible, and that would have been Marlon Brando. And I think he would have sucked the life out of the movie if, if he was in that role. So I agree too with you, Todd. Too. Yeah, probably, yeah. But I, I agree that Paul Sorvino is amazing
1: in this movie. All right. Uh, well, now we got to go the other direction and talk about the worst performance. And I'm going to go first on this one. My worst performance is um, Suzanne Shepard as Karen's mom. Yes. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I think I think that yeah, her her performance is pretty undeniable as just a a whiny in-law. Like one of my, not my actual favorite scene, but one of my favorite scenes in this is when they stay up all night and and all the all and, and he she just starts yelling at the door when Henry comes comes home. And he just looks at her, starts laughing, and walks away. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's just... Everybody knows that feeling, and I don't blame him one bit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, that, that that that's my performance. I mean, all she does is yell the whole time.
2: Yeah, your
0: father the- hasn't been able like some-
2: to eat j- just a decent meal in six weeks!
0: <laughs> doing like some Piper Laurie channeling and that. It's, it's bad. It's all bad. I mean,
1: it, it's exactly what it needs to be, but it doesn't deny the fact that it's bad. Um, Todd how about you uh,
0: My other one that I have written down Was Keith Corrigan as Michael Hill His young his younger brother Cause I just feel like whenever He's on screen like three times And he just looks lost Like I don't know if there's something wrong with him But like even when he's like showing him the helicopter That's following him he just he just has this look like He's completely stoned Or he just doesn't know what he's doing And like, I don't know how he turned into a decent actor eventually, but I I think he's like one person that stands out as being like, that person doesn't belong here. Like, why? Why did he get that part?
1: It's a good call. It's a good call. Zach, how about you?
2: Yeah, I sort of went in a similar direction to Terry. It's hard to really pick a bad performance. Like I, I agree with you about that role, Terry. By the way, she also plays Carmela Car- uh, Carmela's mother on The Sopranos, which I didn't realize until looking it up this time. Um, <laughs> although, yeah, s- similar role, I guess. Um, it's it's not. I don't know if it's a bad performance, but it's a it's a really annoying character. And so, in that vein, I I went with um, Chuck Lowe as uh, uh, Maury because he's so just annoying in the movie, and I'm sure it's it's actually a good performance, but uh, he's insufferable, and I particularly, you know... Uh, whether it's, you know, um, him uh, betting away the money that he's owed to the mob in a very kind of Howard-esque fashion from Uncut Gems, or whether it's, like, patronizing Henry and singing those, like, Italian songs to him as an excuse to just, you know, keep bugging Jimmy for the money about the Lufthansa heist. He's just a really annoying character, and I, if, if there were any scenes that I would want to fast-forward, it would usually be the Maury scenes, although I do like
1: his commercial and want to see Nicholas Cage perform it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller, minor character of the film award. Todd, who do you have?
0: Uh I mean, I I like Jimmy I like Jimmy two times. You know, like <laughs> there, there was a time <laughs> At FedEx, when like uh, we we would have to go collect all the trucks paperwork after they would all leave, and I would always like uh, straighten up my polo shirt because obviously I wasn't wearing a tie. Be like, I'm gonna go get the papers, get the papist. just because. I mean, it's Jimmy two times. He's he's the coolest guy in the room. Like I I don't know that that every I just want to know more about that guy. He is one scene. Like, what does that guy do the rest of the time? Well, what else does he say twice? This is like th- these are questions I need answered. <laughs> he needed like two more yeah. scenes
1: now now did you teach everybody else to do that too like you did with that one line from boiler room room?
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: (laughs) you have to say it twice or it doesn't
0: count (laughs) yeah this is the influence i have on the people that work on me at (laughs) fedex
1: oh all right um zach how about you uh i well um I,
2: the obvious answer is Tommy's mother. She deserves to be in her own movie. She's but you know, but I've already mentioned her before. So I would also go with um, Stax, played uh, memorably by Samuel L. Jackson. And what's sort of interesting about Stax, besides the fact that he just hangs out at the lounge and plays guitar, is apparently he's so likable that he gets the mob to trust him to actually do a serious job, which involves, what, stealing a truck and taking it to a compactor the, in New Jersey or something. And of course he fails because he gets stoned and hangs out at his, at his girlfriend's house. But I find it amusing or interesting that that the mob would actually trust him to do this serious job in what ended up being the biggest heist in American history. So I think that speaks a lot to his character. He must be someone with an infectious personality.
0: Sort of like Rufus. Every time. he sits around yeah. and plays to get yeah. piano.
2: It, every time I maybe watch they're this they're the movie, same person. They play by the same actor. It's very possible. Oh, oh, He's conspiracy. also not the first
0: guy the only guy who plays Stacks in the movie. Like you have the, uh, Tony Stacks, <laughs> which could be uh, which could be confusing if one of them wasn't Samuel L. Jackson. So
1: every every time I watch this movie, I get to that scene where where Stack shows up, and I go, "Oh yeah, Sam Jackson's in this." I forget every time. Every time I'm watching this movie, because it's like an hour and a half in that all, finally Samuel L. Jackson shows up and you go, oh, yeah. Oh Yeah, he was in, in, like, this. arguably the best movie of
0: 1989 and of 1990. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay, well, um, I, I mean, I could say that my favorite, uh, my favorite minor character, I won't, but I could say my favorite minor character is Frankie the Wop, played by Tony Lip. Just because it's played by Tony Lip, but um, well, there are a lot of to. those.
0: You got Topin Bell in this movie. You got Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Sheet, as the doctor, yeah. and uh, Vincent <laughs> yeah. Gallo somehow in here. I don't know. Like, there's a bunch of those guys. <laughs> Illeana Douglas. I by the way, really know that.
1: I, I I was looking at Tony Lip's IMDb page. He has a lot of random little roles in movies. Well, he, like he, he's we a wedding guest in The in Godfather, Ball, right? Yeah, yeah yeah he's a he's a he's a at, in the nightclub in raging bull he's in dog day afternoon uh yeah he's in the pope of greenwich village year of the dragon goodfellas he's on the sopranos
2: too he actually played a fairly ma- major yeah. character on the sopranos yeah, you
1: yeah he's in know like uh he's in donnie brasco yeah it's kind of crazy anyways my favorite minor character is spider um Good played way. by michael imperioli uh, just cause, I mean, he, you, I mean, of all the characters in this, he's the one you just, you, you just gotta feel for the most, like, he had the worst fate of anybody, like, he's just little, he's just this, this kid that's trying to work his way up, just like all of them did, and, uh, and he's get he finally, you know, grew a pair, stood up to Tommy, the problem is, Tommy's insane and a psycho, and, uh, and you, uh, you see just how much that is the case, and, uh. But no, his, his, like, five minutes on screen are, are awesome. I, I love I Spider. I was like, oh poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Biggest stick man and biggest douchebag. Zach, you're first.
2: Alright, well, the biggest stick man in the movie is obviously the guy at the prison that Henry is at, whose girlfriend is going down on him in the visiting um, <laughs> booth. Oh, he appears yeah. to be he appears to be bald. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's, that's skills right there. Um, but you know, douchebag is a huge, did you want me to go into douchebag too? Douchebag is a a huge category. So I actually had a few that I wrote down. Um, Henry's father was one of them. Bruce, who was, uh, um, Karen's first boyfriend, the, uh, the racist truck driver who blames his truck being stolen on black people, Karen's mother, um, I also wrote down Jeannie for driving her husband to jail, and the skinny guard who's getting to be a pain in the ass when Henry's in prison, as they're trying Hooray. to sneak in Henry. food.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. It, Let's Terry. see here. My, I mean, all right. I'm going. What?
0: Yeah, I say go for it.
1: Yeah. My my biggest stick man. I'm I'm going Henry Hill i mean he he's the he's the only one that we actually you know see evidence of uh of multiple in the uh, in the movie and ha- and has a very similar scene as the guy in the prison well all right um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so so i mean y you, you gotta go, go world
0: what's what's her name debbie Mazar? Like, yeah. She, she Sandy. Owns like her and Faruza Balk are the only ones that play that role.
1: <laughs> I, I was going to say, you mean 10 years uh, premature Faruza Balk basically? Um, and you, you kind of stole my douchebag. My douchebag was Bruce. I mean, he. there the, This is kind of a movie of douchebags, but he kind of. He's. He, he's. Yeah. He's the outsider douchebag, so that's the one I went with. And his fate is just awesome. I mean, he got beat to a pulp with the back end of a pistol. I mean. <laughs> All right, Todd.
0: Uh, My uh, stick man was Tommy because, like, his mom says, you need to find a nice girl. He's like, I get a nice girl every night. I settle down, then in the morning, I'm free. You know, I mean, he's also kind of a douchebag, but, I mean, he's he's totally a stick man. I mean, he does have, like, four or five different women during the movie. And also stacks. like, the way he's seducing that one yeah. girl, he's like, you know, He's like the, uh, he's like this this drink here is better than sex, baby. And then yep. when they go to when they go to kill him they're like they're, he's they thought I, you know I thought one of your bitches was in here, you know? Like obviously he's 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 got it. he's got a new girl every night. He's a stick man. That's and a great my, call. Yeah, my 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 douchebag uh, I, I was thinking of the Secaucus bank teller who busts Tommy during his story. Yeah, or you know, like because you know he, yeah. he's laying out in the weeds and he goes out and you know he just like harasses him for no reason. It seems like other than the fact that he you know was robbing the place, but he he seems like he'd probably be a douchebag. And my other one was uh, Sonny Buns, who's the guy who, while Tommy is actually telling the story, he comes in, brings him his tab, and like interrupts him, and then he, you know, he say, he says Tommy taking over the place would be like putting a silk cat on a on a pig. And, and he and he says that Henry is basically a stool there because he's there so often. You know, like I mean, he, that that guy is a douchebag all over. And
1: no disrespect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no disrespect. Yeah, but, but
0: you know, yeah, he's a douche too. Those, I mean, basically that scene needs to be mentioned more. And uh, yeah, those are those are two douchebags in that scene. One of them we don't see, and I would have liked to see like some sort of like reenactment of that while we were watching that scene.
1: <laughs> Ping pow. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: well okay uh, so we didn't mention him but i think we should almost rename the biggest douchebag award in honor of billy bats i mean he's one of the great douchebag and douchebags in movie history i was kind of leaving him for for tommy. one of you to to talk I about had him but written down he, too I, I mean he's also you know he ends up being the reason that tommy dies i guess unintentionally but like He's, you know, he, he eggs him on completely. And, you know, even Jimmy says, oh, no, you were doing it too. And, um, I mean, how how much of a douche do you have to be to, on, on the night that you're released from prison and you're throwing a party, to give someone shit like that and to just bust their balls? That That's that, that that's douchebag running through your veins right there.
1: So so we should we should remove the, rename it from Swan Micah Oliphant douchebag yes. to the Billy, Billy Bats, Bats. douchebag? He's, well, bigger, so he's a bigger he douchebag than all. Tongue. Isn't Frank Vincent really the is. one <laughs> who actually
0: ends up killing uh, Pesci in, in a casino? Doesn't he get his Yes, revenge?
2: right? Yeah, that sounds right. In the field, right?
0: Yeah. Him and his yeah. brother? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I guess I'm, I uh, yeah maybe that maybe that contributes even more to it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Spoiler alert on that one. I still need to watch Casino.
0: Oh, well, yeah, I mean okay
1: <laughs> did you notice did
2: you notice the the poster of casino in um uh amy adams's husband's house in, in hillbilly elegy i found that really curious did you yes notice that? i
1: did i
2: did <laughs> like her new husband's a really big fan of casino because you know in backwoods midwest you know ohio they really love casino i don't know i thought that was interesting
1: <laughs> i also felt like her new husband could have been ben functoris a little bit yeah um okay the best scene best scene in the movie um i'll go first the one i have written down there's so many great scenes i mean that that's like we've been saying this is just iconic scene after iconic scene but the best i'm gonna go the best scene is the dinner at tommy's mom's house
2: stole my scene god damn it
1: yeah i sorry i it it, it, i had to i think zach only
0: watched one scene in preparation for. it was the only one that's on uh, youtube
2: right now all the others are copyrighted (laughs)
1: Uh, it's such a great scene and you you see so much going on in that scene uh like like zach's been saying tommy's mom that character is is just awesome and that's the scene where she shines the most um, you see you see henry kind of being all reserved because of what just happened and what and he's kind of processing exactly what this all means while the other two are a little more okay with what's going on you've got the the painting which we which i i feel like we've spent way too much time talking about at different times throughout our lives um and uh and uh, and, and yeah and and the whole thing of just the whole scene is just it's just great it kind of reminds me of uh, of the scene in sideways at miles' mom's house
0: mm-hmm. she yeah so to Tommy's mom
1: <laughs> yeah you should find Victoria and settle down with her she'd be good for you yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: That, that's a good conspiracy theory. Maybe they are the same person. Um, but you know, that, that painting is interesting. So there was a tweet a few months ago that apparently that painting is based on a real life photograph that was published in the like November 1978 issue of National Geographic. That blew my mind. And Another thing with that painting is I have like a print of that poster, um, or the painting, uh, in my classroom, and I'm always hoping that some student will come up and say, oh, Goodfellas, good movie, Mr. Salts, you're pretty cool, and that's only ever happened once, and it was just, that's from Goodfellas, it wasn't the, you're cool, Mr. Salts" part, but I, I do have it up in my room, it's, you know, it's classic.
1: <laughs> now, now, what would be cooler if someone went, oh, hey, Goodfellas, or if someone went, uh, it's, it's a great painting, you got one dog pointing that way, one dog pointing that way, and D- yeah, Does that... that guy remind you of someone?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that student will get an A. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Single tear on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Alright,
1: Todd, what's your favorite scene? Or best uh, scene?
0: There, I mean, there are a lot of them. Um. I mean, I love the opening scene because just, uh, you know, them, them riding down the road and then all of a sudden you hear that thing and then, like, Jimmy's sleeping and then... Henry has to wake him up to tell to ask like, did I run something over? I'm like, dude, he, he was sleeping. He knows less than you do, you know. But, I mean, it's just like this great scene. But I mean, it's totally people that have no idea what the hell they're doing, like trying to get rid of a body that they didn't actually kill in the first place. That's a great scene. But my other one is when they're blowing up the bamboo lounge, uh, because like that conversation like goes completely off the rails, and Joe Pesci just like speaks a a million words a minute about like how they should go on a double date. While the thing is like going up in flames in, in the background, like it is a beautifully shot scene, and it is a like a beautifully written scene. I, I love that scene too. And of course, the tracking shots that's a... and the and the sequence in, in prison where where they're making all the food and like saying how they're better off than a lot of people that are on the outside. You know that that those are yeah those those are the highlights of the movie for sure.
1: Those are all good calls. I like the scene where they're where they're burning down the the joint too. That that's awesome. All right, Zach. since I stole yours, uh, what else do you got? Oh, that's
2: okay. I was going to go with May 11th, uh, 1980, uh, which I actually celebrate uh, every year as the uh, date went... Actually, we're celebrating the 40-year anniversary of of, uh, Henry getting caught. But of course, that sequence is uh, amazing to watch. I don't know, there's like 10 songs that play during that sequence and sometimes they overlap and then you got the crazy, you know, parallel editing. What I love about that sequence is it like it breaks every rule of continuity editing in the book and it shows why like when you're an editor you shouldn't always follow the rules. I love, you know, that the helicopters flying backwards and that uh, they, you know, that there's like reverse angles and shit and it's it's just crazy. Um, and, you know, it, it if I can't choose the scene with with uh, uh, Tommy's mom, I'm going to choose the other scene that I go to on YouTube all the time. Which, which is that one for sure?
1: Yeah, that that is where the film really, that is where a manic film hits its most manic for mm-hmm. sure. Is that that whole sequence and of of his paranoia, and it all plays out. It all like actually happens too. That's a, that's the other great part about the whole thing. The
2: only way it could have been better is if Isaiah Whitlock said. Shit! Get off your shit, or something like that. That that may, would have made it better. <laughs> he said he gives
0: him some Valium.
2: Was not meant to be. Uh,
1: okay. So now we get into getting into flaws. Anything outdated? Any conspiracy theories? Anything that doesn't hold up? Who wants to go first here?
2: I didn't. I didn't have any flaws, but I had a, I had a couple more categories. I just wanted to bring up real fast yeah go for it. Uh, so who's the biggest racist in this movie because there's a lot of racists I mean um, I mean Tommy certainly you know yeah, is Tommy's not a, a fan of sure. <laughs> not a fan of black people nor is that truck driver, but you also have
1: I was say the truck driver <laughs>
2: <laughs> You also have T- Tommy's anti-Semitic girlfriend because she she doesn't um, believe in dating Italians, um, which is why Henry has to accompany her. And then you also have the anti-Irish um, prejudice of Billy Batts, who you know ca- calls them out. Uh, but actually, there's probably a lot of anti-Irish racism in this movie. Um, well, but there's as well. also
0: there like doesn't isn't Henry the one that says like can you like uh, he was pretty much pulls it back and says like uh, the fact that she's Jewish or whatever like like that that she doesn't like Italians or whatever like yeah a, a yeah I was gonna do, say Karen's do mom a lot of racist shit in there.
1: I was gonna say Karen's mom, where, where when yeah, he's meeting her, true. he she has to cover up the cross. And true. Say, I hear you're only, half the, good half. <laughs> only yeah. the good half. Only <laughs> yeah, the <yeah. I'm> good half. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then the other that's ca- a good one. The only other category I want to bring up, which is maybe more of a category Todd can answer, but I think you, you can also have some input, Terry, is best performance in in Goodfellas by a Sopranos cast member. Because um, according to the internet, there's like 39 actors who are in both The Sopranos and Goodfellas. And they range in large roles to small roles. But you know some of the major ones, of course, were uh, Michael Imperioli, who played Spider and Christopher. Lorraine Bracco, who played uh, Karen and Dr. Malfi. You have um, Polly Walnuts, who's the, the the first stacks in this movie. And I think who gives Tootie some shit at the beginning um, and uh you also have pussy bump and Sarah as the coat guy at the Copacabana there's there's a lot of great choices oh, and of course Billy bats too was also the antagonist in the final season of the sopranos
0: yeah, I mean well I was I would I was gonna immediately say Lorraine Brocco, but yeah I mean obviously the there's there's a ton that have been in in both so I've only seen Sopranos through once so i'm I'm not. I, I mean, a lot of these people became bigger actors, but, like, they're, they're tiny actors in this movie, so it's hard to say who they give the best performance in this movie.
2: Yeah, it's fair. I really just wanted to bring up the fact that so many of these actors were also on The Sopranos, and that, I mean, for me, The Sopranos and Breaking Bad are the two greatest shows of all time. I think if you just take the first four seasons of The Sopranos, then, then that's the greatest show of all time, and it wouldn't exist without this movie. So, again, this movie has an afterlife that is maybe as significant as the movie itself.
0: Well, and it's similar, because I remember when we reviewed The Irishman, that, like, well, I brought up that, like, almost every actor in that appeared on Boardwalk Empire at some point, and, like, uh, I think there's a, a like, a Pipeline. There, and this like Scorsese pipeline that's been going on for thirty years of these Italian-American actors who are all in the same shit.
2: Yeah. Also, don't forget Uncle Junior is the one that um, puts too much uh, onions in the sauce, right? In in the in the prison. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yep. That's true. Yep. Uh,
0: uh, another yeah. category I want to bring up is: What is your favorite time that this movie is mentioned in s- somewhere else that you've heard? Or scene because like there's a couple okay like, whether it's a meme or whether it's like a, another movie or whatever
1: i i have one for this that i that i wanted to bring up and you just gave me the perfect opportunity to so uh so one of the things that i've been introducing my son to is animaniacs it's on hulu and so we've been doing that and there's there's this uh this sketch they do with these pigeons and they call them the good feathers And, and it always starts out where one of them says, um, for as long back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a good feather. And, uh, it's like some random combination of Goodfellas, the Godfather and West Side Story. Um, like, like he falls in love with a, with a a bird from another, from another group. And then, and then there's the God pigeon that comes up and talks to him. And, but one of the, one of the funniest parts is, um, you know, you know, you made it, you know, you're a good feather. If you're invited to perch on top of the statue of Martin Scorsese's head,
0: <laughs> Animaniacs. Didn't it, that, that was the new season? Or is that.
1: No, this is the old ones. Oh. <laughs> this, they they, they did, did this
0: in like 1993. I don't think
1: they brought back Good
2: Goodfeather, Feathers for the reboot, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> oh, that's too bad.
0: That's, that's awesome. a good. That's yeah, a good that,
2: that's a good one, Terry. The one I was going to mention I was going to mention that one if you didn't, but I was also gonna mention our favorite ESPN show Around the Horn did a great tribute to the Copacabana scene about ten years ago when Tony Realli uh, actually like did a walkthrough of the backstage of the studio and basically did like every single, you know, minute uh, line or delivery like he says, You always you too, and that that's that's a pretty funny YouTube clip still.
0: Alright, well mine Nice uh like I have a couple. One, one was when I I used to listen to uh, Jay Moore, like the actor. He did his sports radio, and it, it was he's a big Dodgers fan. And right after the Dodgers got eliminated from the playoffs one year, like a uh, I don't know, he, he read off an email and he was like, "Kershaw was the only pitcher we had, Karen," and because he does an amazing <laughs> radio voice, and uh, <laughs> and I also like. uh I uh, must have been early two thousand fifteen. Uh, there, there was a video that was edited of Ray Liotta in the shower listening to the radio, and they cut out the what the actual radio was going on, but it it, it like piped in uh, Seattle radio stuff uh, of, uh, and it was saying how like the Seahawks traded a first round pick for Jimmy Graham, and he's like, "Oh, Jimmy, you sons of <laughs> bitches, Jimmy," <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was amazing. <laughs>
1: oh that's good that is good <laughs> oh okay uh,
0: i mean right, i have a conspiracy laws, theory i guess um i don't know okay. there, there aren't there aren't that much uh like we said, the ages are all over the place. I, I think the last half hour of the movie doesn't really have the same energy. Like once once Tommy dies, I feel like the downfall kind of has like a, a slower pace than the rest of the movie and the soundtrack kinda of goes haywire, like Zach says, there's like three songs they're playing at the same time, kind of yeah, you know, like the soundtrack is kinda of crazy. And also I can't figure out what card that, game though. they're ever playing. Like when they're <laughs> sitting down playing cards, what the hell are they doing? Like what they're saying and what they're putting on the table, I can never figure out what they're actually playing. He's like, no, I'm actually playing those. Like, what? What does that mean? Like, at what point do you throw cards on the table face up and like you don't know what cards you're playing? I don't know. That should have been more clear.
1: All right, I have a conspiracy theory. Uh, My conspiracy theory is after uh, after Henry Hill, you know, gave them all up, uh, Jimmy Conway also uh, decided to testify and uh and got put into witness protection as well and uh got put into witness protection um as a as a former cia operative now flower salesman um that has a, an affinity for tom collins um and no name jack burns um and uh and doesn't like his his son-in-law greg fokker that's my conspiracy that is theory. Awesome. We have every t- a every lot time, every time he looked over his glasses and went. <laughs> well, and, and every time, every time he looks over, he he would look over his glasses and go, "Look at me, look at me."
0: I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's totally way too old. He, well he kind of employs lot. some of the same stuff. <laughs> yeah,
0: he is. He's supposed to be like, what? Is he like 29 when, when the movie starts? Well,
1: that that's one of the things I wasn't I wasn't clear about. I mean. Jimmy Henry and Tommy are they all supposed to be the same age, or is well, no, I, he, I always got said, the Jim, got the feeling Jimmy's that like, that he, Henry
0: and he was like twenty nine or thirty or something when they first see him, and that that's when he he's like handing out handing out twenties uh, to everybody when he walks into the club.
1: So he's like eight to ten years older than than Henry and Tommy.
0: Yeah, at no point were yeah, any okay. of the actors closer twenties though.
1: Well, well, sure, but I I think if the Irishman showed us anything, Scorsese's gonna. Cast old and try and make them look young.
2: <laughs> I had a similar conspiracy theory to you, Terry, which is that um, actually uh, he doesn't grow up to be, uh, you know, Jack, uh, whatever his name is, and meet the parents. He, Jack
1: he, Burns. Jack
2: Burns, excuse me. Um, well, we know that Jimmy is paranoid, right? And we know that by the end of his career, he's, he's kind of incompetent and he's just, you know, uh, he he's he, he skeptical of everybody and isn't really sure of anything. So really he, he probably, and, and we know that he likes stacks a lot. So my theory is that they go to Hermosa Beach, hang out and get high with Bridget Fonda. And then they meet a stewardess named Jackie Brown. And that's how they spend the rest of their life together because their ass used to be beautiful.
0: I like it, too. It's a good
1: one, too.
0: It's a good one. We're going to connect all the Scorsese into Tarantino movies eventually in this shit. Yeah. We,
1: we are. We, we really are. Okay. Let's start to wrap this up. LVP and MVP. Uh, let's see here. Zach, you're first.
2: All right. Well, LVP... I had four LVPs for this movie. One was the city of Pittsburgh. I mean, clearly... Although they in twenty twenty they did a lot of great things, but maybe back no, not so much in the eighties. But um,
1: you know what they they did make it sound pretty exciting taking a trip to Pittsburgh.
2: They never take a trip to Pittsburgh, though. That's that's the thing. Um, the ba- doesn't the babysitter? No, she's flying to Atlanta.
1: Oh, she's delivering it all. That's right. Yeah,
2: okay. I, but that was my There's next contact one. It, in it Pittsburgh. Is Lois? I think is a very solid LVP. In fact, we could name the rename the LVP the Lois VP Award. What I did there Okay
1: you're kind of Stealing mine But I, I want to speak up here Because yeah. my LVP Isn't Lois It's Lois's hat Oh That's my that's LVP better. Yeah
2: Yeah um, uh, Well okay You can talk about yours In just a second My other two were Telephones And TikTok Because now t- So my wife is obsessed With TikTok now Because she thinks She's a teen girl And so The number one song That is like I don't know if you guys have heard, it's, it's like on all The stupid TikToks Is um, The song from this Movie uh whatever happened to whatever happened to i hear that from her freaking phone every second of the day on tiktok and it has ruined that scene from this movie for me forever so screw you tiktok you're the real lvp
1: my, my experience with tiktok is you know you're getting old when you find it really funny when people refer to it as the tiktok yeah like, ironically, it's like, like, if, if you were young and still hip, it'd be like, oh, you're just annoying by, by doing that and ignorant of, of my culture. And I was like, that's really funny. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, my... <laughs> that, my that's
1: MP- how you know you're old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, sorry, my MVP of the movie very clearly is uh, the editor, one, Thelma Schoonmacher, mm-hmm. because she made this movie, along with Marty. But, you know, the editing, not even getting a, a nomination is absurd. She deserves all the credit. This movie was made well, in now, the editing. It, room.
0: it was it was not only really for editing. It just didn't win, right? Oh, was
2: it? Oh, it didn't win. Okay, yeah. well
1: whatever. Should have won. Alright, well now that you've stolen everything I was about to say, I might as well just You go stole on to you my stole LBP. the
2: Mama Scorsese
1: scene. You knew that was gonna uh, be my favorite okay. scene. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, my like, like I said, my L V P is Lois's hat. I was very proud of that one too, when you stole it from me. Um, and my MVP was Thelma Schoonmaker, because oh, yeah, she jump that that's i mean there's really nothing else you can say about that so all right todd
0: uh well i had three other lvps one of them was tommy because uh obviously he screws everything up he's a liability he's not even that loyal he had to know he was getting whacked like there's no way he was ever getting made uh mm-hmm. i also thought maury because he can't keep his mouth shut and he just keeps like busting jimmy's balls and like taunting the crew like i he, there's no room for that in in that organization and also stacks obviously because he completely screwed up the Lufthansa (laughs) highest getaway truck uh
2: we've talked a lot about stacks I I was not expecting this level of Stacks. maybe he's the real winner yeah
0: it was was an important part uh my MVP yeah I mean Thelma is up there uh Nicholas Pileggi because he wrote the book and it's The best book that I've ever read Um, Scorsese, Ray Liotta And Pauly of course because Pauly is He's the boss You know and uh, Like they say you know Pauly may have moved slow But it was only because Pauly didn't have to move For anybody and that's also my quote
1: Alright alright Well before we actually get into quotes There were a couple things I wanted to mention That I I, um, One I wanted to mention One that I'm surprised hasn't been mentioned yet And the one I wanted to mention was, um, that I forgot to mention earlier, um, an observation. So the scene where, uh, Henry and Karen are, um, are off kind of on their own, where Henry figures out he has to sign for it. He can't just pay for it. And they meet Bruce for the first time. I'm pretty sure that's the same location where they shoot like the party scene in Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, it looks very, very similar. So, anyways, that was just one random observation. Which party? Like, like the the one, the one where there's like that 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 iconic shot, oh, that overhead shot where he's like screaming into the microphone. And what scene from Goodfellas? The scene where they meet Bruce for the first time. At where, like the where country like, club thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like if it had a very similar look and vibe to to Wolf of Wall Street.
0: When he's screaming in the microphone, I think they're on a yacht oh
1: maybe i don't know they're the the or is it the party where they where he meets the margot robbie character for the first time i think that's what i'm thinking
2: that's not on the yacht though that's at like no the, the house right yeah that's just, whatever
1: well, I'm, I'm probably wrong
0: i don't know i mean i might just be misremembering roger clemens
1: <laughs> <laughs> so okay so todd that that Loosely relates to the thing I'm surprised that hasn't been mentioned yet. And how have we not mentioned Married to the Mob yet, Todd? Um, I'm surprised it hasn't come up. So the 30 for 30
0: documentary. That's not documentary, to the Mob, for sure. That is... Oh, no, what is it? Playing for the Mob. <laughs> the They're Dean Stockwell movie? <laughs> playing for the
1: Michelle Mob. Michelle Pfeiffer? Playing for the Mob. <laughs> I was going to say, that was... Playing for the Not mob. as
2: good as Goodfellas, but... Well, yeah,
0: I Playing for the Mob. in Boston, yeah, I mean, they only mention it, it's Maury that mentions it, like, that one, like... Few words that that he says. Yeah, I mean, and they, that's one of the coolest parts of the book too. Is that it expands on that? Expands on the Lufthansa heist. Like, I, I want to see that in this movie. That would, I mean, again, it could have been a miniseries now, but like at the time, that would have never happened.
1: So, if you haven't seen Playing for the Mob, uh, it's a thirty for thirty documentary done by ESPN. It's on ESPN Plus if you have it. Um, that talks about um, the point-shaving scandal at Boston College that Henry Hill was, like, the the mastermind of. And it even, I think it even goes into the Lufthansa heist, doesn't it?
0: What, the documentary?
1: Yeah, a little bit, at least. It, mention, it, ha- it mentions it because it's happening at the same time.
0: Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that, it's a really cool when documentary. He, uh, when he's, like, sprouting off on it, doing his own thing on, yeah. You know
1: yeah it's a cool documentary okay uh so todd already gave his quote of the day zach what's yours
2: oh uh my quote of the day comes from uh tommy devito when he's uh talking to the group with spider and he says that's me i'm the oklahoma kid you about varmint dance dance yahoo (laughs)
1: well done well done all right, I had three quotes written down here, and only one of them hasn't already been said, so I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> I, ha- I had the quote of, uh, I settle down with a nice girl every night, and I'm free the next morning. Uh, but uh, I had the-, the quote I'm going with is one that, um, I-, I love how, m- how focused Henry his- Henry is on food in this movie. And so I'm going with the quote that um, actually is like good cooking advice that I want to try sometime, and it's when they're in the prison, and he's talking about Paulie. He said he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor and he used to slice it so thin that it, uh, it, uh, it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It was a very good system, and I was like, I want to try that sometime. And then right right after that, he talks about the the guy who was making the sauce, and and he's always obsessed with the sauce. I felt he used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. <laughs> <laughs> it's like make sure he's stirring the sauce i mean what it's uh, yeah i find it hilarious how much how obsessed he is with food so i had to mention it
0: it was my privilege okay
1: yes it was my privilege thank you and with that we're gonna draw this podcast to a close thank you guys so much for listening uh again subscribe on all of our platforms so we can be uh found by more people we'll be back at you next week with another episode until then have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side